What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Lisa? 2016. Yeah. On this show. <laughs> what are you laughing for? Uh, we haven't done anything yet. I'm just crazy. Okay. <laughs> On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Did you see how I had music in there? Yeah. Did you see that? I did. Because sometimes we talk about music a lot. That's right. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. So y'all hear her voice, Lisa Mm Bolacaja. We call her the street notice. A.K.A. the Black Gidget of Mission Beach. Yes. A.K.A. Sophista Ratchet. Yes. A.K.A. your okay. favorite auntie. Your favorite auntie. On the block. Because <laughs> she will get you hey, in a minute. Uh, speaking that? of Black Gidgets, I'd like to make a public service announcement for uh, those beach people. So, if those of you who don't know, I follow a lot of ocean and... Um, a lot of uh, organizations that help take care of beach and, you know, mm-hmm. marine life and stuff like that. So, you know, there are sharks in the water. Yeah, that's But people, but here's the just thing. Reform, I got to say, because I just read this couple <laughs> of articles that came out and people are just really upset about sharks. Look, let me just tell you, it has nothing to do with screenwriting. Mm-hmm. But because I do write and I like to sit near water and think while I'm writing, <laughs> I need to tell people, sharks don't want to eat you. Okay? <laughs> if you're in the water. Mm-hmm. Tastes like chicken. Now, no, but here, but here's the thing. <laughs> Sometimes when they look up, like if you're boogie boarding, you're swimming, they look up, mm-hmm. because of their eyes, you, some people look like turtles and seals and stuff like that. But just to let people know, sharks don't really want to eat. They don't like the taste of human meat. Mm-hmm. Most of the shark attacks that have happened, it's because either they was hungry or they was rogue. Mm-hmm. And once they bite you and they realize, oh, you're not real. I mean, you know, you're not what I'm going to eat. They usually go away. Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately for some people, you might get really jacked up. But... <laughs> The intent was not to jack yeah, you up. They were for just real. tasting you. You was just, right? you know, they mis- you know they misconstrued the situation. Yeah. So I just want to put that out there. Please stop all the shark hate. Sharks are really yeah. wonderful. Which is why they never cute. come back and get another bite, do they? You know, and they don't. They're just exactly. like, you know what? Now you might be messed up and missing yeah. a couple of pieces, but the intent. <laughs> you know, you don't need that land. The right? intent was <laughs> not malicious. Exactly. It was not malicious intent. So yeah. stop all the shark hate, people. <laughs> stop all the shark hate. I just have to put that out there. Okay. Because you know it's getting warmer now that it's August. Is more people going to be at the beach, and I see a lot of people saying negative and really hurtful things about sharks. And I never, I get, I'm I never very sensitive about that. And you, you could talk. We'll, we'll get into the show in a second. But I never understood why in the world, like for instance, if you live in a Hollywood Hills or by the ocean or whatever, and your little poodle, your little dog or whatever, and I love my dogs, trust me, if your little dog gets eaten by a coyote, they go out and hunt. 90 of them, <laughs> you know what I mean, and get rid of every single one of them. Well, like, like trying to you put moved in the hills, back in the you tube, moved in you know? there. <laughs> 
You didn't follow. Yes. Well, you didn't follow. You didn't the, build the fence. You didn't follow the apex predator chart. Yes. Effectively, <laughs> and you didn't take care of your fur baby. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> and the reason why you go after all these coyotes because you messed up. So mm-hmm. you know, just know your 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 animals food. Mm-hmm. They're food. It's normal. Yes. So anyway. Y'all know how we're doing on the rant room. So if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get it in. Mm-hmm. So today, <clears throat> we got my man in town, uh, composer, writer. You write too, right? Yeah. Get your little articles and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course, like you compose music, yeah. you know, score. Um, James Stemple, everybody. What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to the show. What, what does your last name mean? What, where does that come from? I love... Oh, it's German. It's, it means stamp. I come from a long line, like Unstempel. Yeah. When you go through customs, oh, really? like, hit your passport with Unstempel. Yeah, I come from a long line of printers. Oh, no. I love the etymology of names. So I'm always asking people for unusual names. Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking, it sounds like something, like or stencil, or something to do with marking something. I was out on tour a while ago, and I went all over the United States, and the only place I would ever see my name was on stationery stores. Oh, really? Still. There, must, there must have been ten of them. It still Ste- says Stemple. And you missed yeah, out Stemple, on and you, Station, and, you, yeah. and you missed out on your cut. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my true that was calling, family. That was family. <laughs> you could have came in there and got some ends, you know. Yeah, I could have gotten some free posters. <laughs> I keep th- you, I always get on it about the the guest jeans. Like, where are my money at? Okay, <laughs> yeah, nothing. <laughs> Can That's a brother funny. get ten percent? <laughs> Anyway, welcome to the show, James. We appreciate having Good you, to man. Be here. Yeah, so so let me tell you just really quickly. So I met James. I was I was coming out. We're both on the lot here in Hollywood, in West Hollywood. Um, and I was coming outside, and you were standing there talking to Todd Grodnick, uh, mm-hmm. producer across the way. And he introduced me to you, and we started chopping it up. So I was like, dude, I got to have you on the show. You know, and he was like, oh, what am I going to do in the show? And I was like, talk about what you do, bitch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Tap dance, exactly. really. <laughs> so, so we've been going back and guy. forth. <laughs> so we've been going back and forth the last week or so. And um, um, so I came into his, his, his uh, office, his studio, I should call it, because it's way better than an office, goddammit. <laughs> in my little 200 feet office, he's got like 9,000 square feet in there. <laughs> and um, so I went there and hung out with him the other day. It was just gorgeous. And we listened to a lot of his music and stuff. So I'm trying to bring him in to do the, um, the score on the providers gotcha. uh, with Denise and them. So we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But welcome to the show, my man. I'm happy to be here. Definitely. Yeah. So let's just tell the kids a little bit where you're from and how you got into the game in the first place. Well, I grew up in um, Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. um, born and raised there. Great place to grow up. Had kind of a Huck Finn childhood. Huck you know? Finn. In what way? Well, you could, you could go 20 minutes uh, east and be on the Capitol Mall mm-hmm. or go 20 minutes the other way and go skinny dipping in a rock quarry. Oh, really? wow. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, it takes like an hour to get yeah. anywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, the, the cool thing about growing up there, there was a lot of music around Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. It was uh, in Georgetown. There was a, a street called M Street, still there, uh, Cobblestone Street, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like New Orleans, you know, okay. oh, yeah. club after club after club. Yeah. And, and each club would have a house band that would play there for, like, years, you know, mm. six nights a week, six sets a night. Mm-hmm. And you could actually make a living back then, yeah. you know, like, you know, just working in a club, buy a house, the whole thing. That's back when people went to the clubs, right, yeah. <laughs> to hear music. When, when they, they paid appreciated for music. music yes. <laughs> so the, the, the bands that played there, I mean, you could go to one club and there'd be, uh, you know, like a, an eight-piece brass group, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, you go to the next club and it's like a... 
three-piece power trio, you oh, know, really? and, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just everything. You could <laughs> a doo-wop group. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was really cool. So, and, and the bands were tight because they played so yeah. much, you mm-hmm. know, like six sets a night. I mean, that's where you really yes. pull it together. So, um, I had a fake draft card. Really? <laughs> <laughs> fake draft card? What, what is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess you guys are too young to remember the draft. Well, I don't know. She might know. <laughs> well, I, I mean, know. most people try to I remember avoid, the draft. Some people try to avoid the draft. Yes, and why yeah. would you get a fake draft? Wait. Yeah, no, you, no, is, no, 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 no. It got me into it. Said it, it was got eight, you in a club. You're yeah, old enough to I get in a club. I was 17. Gotcha. You know, the draft ended two days before my 18th birthday. Oh, but, really? But I had, I had a like fake that, draft huh? card so I could, I could play in these clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard of You know what? As a writer, that is something historic is to, to remember. That's it's yours yeah. to mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I played with some very talented uh, musicians. Uh, the guitar player was probably the first. His name was Steve Bishop. Was the first? We, our band was called Steve Bishop and the Chessmen. <laughs> and the Chessmen. Everybody had chess. Okay. <laughs> And uh, he was the first virtuoso I ever okay. met. Yeah, I, I heard him play when he'd been playing for a year, and he's, mm-hmm. yeah, he was phenomenal. I mean, he could sound just like Jeff Beck, Richie Blackmore, mm-hmm. you know, Eric Clapton. Well, what what yeah, instrument yeah. were you playing when you were I was a bass like player, okay. electric bass, yeah. The drummer is um, a de facto rock star now. He's got a band called Government Mule. He played with really? Dickie Betts and okay, um, yeah. Almond Brothers and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, so it was, you know, it was landed in the right place. You know, I used got to watch to Greg Almond's hair. I used to work in a salon in San Francisco. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, one of those, well. like, Vida Saloons, Vida, Vida Saloon type of places. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the, the master stylist, I was his buddy. <clears throat> so oh. I would wash his hair, like, every other week he'd come in and get... And that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Did you see that movie Rush? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, he was good in that. He was <laughs> cold-blooded. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we would, if we weren't pr- uh, playing, we would be rehearsing in Steve's basement, you know, every night. We'd... Uh, Bring out the bong and turn out the lights, you know. <laughs> and that was uh, kind of my introduction. Well, no, I actually started earlier than when I was about twelve years old. Um, I wanted to play the drums. My parents wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, you really gotta love your kid playing the drums. <laughs> so they bought me a. Uh, my mother tried to steer me into uh, the piano and the clarinet, and none of that stuck. Um, so they bought me a guitar, a Sears silver silver tone guitar, mm-hmm. and um, I was okay on the guitar. But I moved over to bass, and boom, you know, that was just, it. Yeah, hit. And so I was really lucky to play with these excellent musicians, and uh, kind of went up the ladder. You know, I mean, I started off when I was twelve. We were doing like uh, Wilson Pickett and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, James Brian. <laughs> imagine, mm-hmm. imagine a bunch of suburban white boys. <laughs> Playing <laughs> Sex Machine, you know, yes. but, it, but it made you funky. Okay, though, didn't it? yeah, no, no, no. Well, I mean, it, it you act- can master that shit. No, okay. no, no, it really, it really rooted with me because uh, I, I kind of got tired after a while playing rock and roll, and that was my next step was mm-hmm. to play soul music. You know? okay. And I, uh, after I graduated from high school, I joined a band. It was like a ten-piece funk band. We did oh, really? Tower Power and Earth Wind and Fire, yes. and, all that yes. and I went out on tour with them, but. Mm-hmm. Oh, the road is rough, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I love the music, but it was I couldn't see myself when I was 50 years old <laughs> thumping on that bass. You know. uh, so I've been on tour as a dancer for some right. big, you know, rappers and singers and stuff, and that's a completely different thing. You know, you're in a hotel, you show up in a limousine, you do your show, and you get the fuck out. Oh, you know that's, we I mean? were on roadies. It's it was, it was different. hard, yeah. 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 We, we, we played in Detroit, your hometown. Oh, yeah. Somebody yeah. got murdered, like, in the <laughs> motel that we were in. <laughs> Do you show a comeback? Like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I 
I, I was trying to think of a plan B, so I, I thought, well, what can I do that's stable, you know, and still creative? So I went to, you know, after a long, drawn-out process, I wound up um, hacking my way into architecture school. Hmm. Um, and, you know, things really went my way. I won't tell you the details, but, sure. you know, it's just like I was prepped, you know, phew, to be an architect. Yeah. And, um, but I was minoring in music. I was playing classical guitar, but the um, band director in the music building uh, knew that I played the bass, mm-hmm. and he caught me in the hallway one day, and he said, you know, hey, have you heard Jocko's album? Hmm. I said, Jocko who? <laughs> and he, he said, run out and buy Jocko Pastorius's album. Okay. Changed my life. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was 21 years old. I lucked in. I bought my own home when I was 21 years wow. old. I found a, I found a house for $1,000. What? What? Where is that house? Is this in D.C. still? No, in Tucson, Arizona. Oh, yeah, well, you can get in Tucson, Arizona. I mean, you know, the the total price of the house was less than the down payment on the house I bought here in L.A. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I was, and I rented out the rooms. I was living there for free, and they they were paying my utilities as Mm -hmm. well. Wow. I walked away from all of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I told my parents, you know, um, I want to go back to music. You know, they they, they said, (laughs) (laughs) you know, well, I don't think of it this way. He did everything he's supposed to do for the American dream with yeah. the school. He went to school. Got the got house. Degree, got right? the house. Mm-hmm. He has a right. To experiment. Yeah. Because well, he can well, always go. Well, what they said was, you know, we've, we, you know you've, you've done really well so far, and we believe in you, but we didn't even think you were going to go to college. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're not really ready for this. And um, uh-huh. where do you want to go? And I said, well, I want to go to the University of Miami. That's where Jocko was from. He used to teach mm. there as well. Pat Matheny was there. You know, yeah. it's a really, oh, really God, great Pat school. You know, yeah. And they, they said, well, how much is it? I said, well, it's eight grand a semester. And they said, Ooh. he said, well, that's all we have. We can send you down there for one semester. <laughs> and then you got to so, work it out. Yeah. Yeah, so I went down there and I got a quarter scholarship. And then by the time I graduated, I was on full scholarship. And that was, you know, the um, incredible experience, hmm. like really great school, you know. But it, it really did, it was, it was really all about jazz, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, the thing that I've always kind of followed is to start off with sort of rudimentary music and then kind of work up the ladder to more, you know, more sophisticated, sure. you know, forms. Like, so it's kind of natural to go from playing with a 10 piece funk band mm-hmm. to playing with a jazz big band. Is it? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. at least for me, it was. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, yeah, so that was, that was a really great experience. But, um, and I got a lot of it, it, it my, my degree was in studio music and jazz, which was a combination writing performance okay. degree. So, you, so you, you learned how to write sophisticated harmonies. You learned how to arrange for big band, but it didn't get into orchestra at all. Oh. And um, <laughs> for a brief period, I went out. I was I was working four. Well, you know, once I graduated, I was working four nights a week. Uh, playing with some incredible players down in Miami, making forty bucks a night, and I, and I, I just couldn't survive. So I took a job. I took a job on a cruise ship, and uh, you know there was no taxes. You know, and mm-hmm. I, you know I didn't get paid that much, but I could save everything. Um, and that was it was just a cake. Oh, you, you can know. eat. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, okay. I had about a six hour work week. You know, mm-hmm. I'd um, I just played the shows. You know, you'd have these um, like former. Vegas acts like Vic Damone and mm-hmm. you know Rita Moreno and, 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 and no, but there's some of them were really good. I mean, you know, I'll never forget playing behind Della Reese. Man, oh my she, god, she had so yes. much soul and mm-hmm. Diane Carroll and it was it was it was a great experience and all these <laughs> comics like Martin Mull and mm-hmm. Nipsey Russell and Don Rickles, you know, and all oh that stuff. God, it was great. The, it was great. The, the legends. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was it was really fun and. um 
one day I got off the ship and my ex-girlfriend was waiting for me and she said she had a piece of paper in her hand. She said, call this guy. They're looking for a bass player. And it was the contractor for a chorus line. Yeah. Yeah. So I The musical. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got the gig and I went out on tour with that show for a year. And then I was actually making some real money mm-hmm. for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I made up I made up my mind before I went out on tour. You know, you have a lot of leisure time, you know, either when you're on a cruise ship or when you're on sure. tour, you know, so there's really not much left to do. You have to be at the theater by seven, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I had like a six hour work week, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I spent a lot of time listening to music, reading, you know, all sorts of things. And, and I, I probably watched the movie Alien 20 really? times. That's your favorite movie ever, isn't <laughs> That's it? That's one yeah. of my top three. Yeah, that one and The Thing. That's yeah, movie the right first there. Alien movie <laughs> is just, man, that is a masterpiece. Well, that and, score alone is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, to, to fast forward, mm-hmm. uh, Years later, after I moved to L.A., I got a call to orchestrate on a Barbara Streisand album mm-hmm. at 20th Century Fox, and we were waiting. You know, we were sitting there working, and she had changed the. This is before you know computer notation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a long time ago, but uh, she had wanted to change the key on something, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I had to basically reorchestrate it. But it's it's kind of complicated because. If the violins are playing like their lowest note, the low mm. G, you know, and she, it's got to go down to G flat. You got to think fast. You oh, know? Really? So we're waiting for the music to come in, and she said, "Well, take a break." And I said, "Do you mind if I go check out the library?" <laughs> you know, they got all these scores from like mm-hmm. the '30s on. You know, and I go back there, and there it is really? in, in Jerry oh, Goldsmith's pencil. Yes. Hand. Oh, I, I mean, I got, I got, I had two hours with that score. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, because I, I was just listening to this music like until I, you know, I just wore it out, mm-hmm. you know. And I, how does he do that? You know, mm-hmm. he had all these, he had a, a, a shawm, he had a conch shell, he had mm-hmm. like these medieval instruments. You mm-hmm. know, it was wild, you know. But I mean, my hands were shaking. It was like holding the, <laughs> the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yes, you know? interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So getting back to the whole line. Um, which yeah. I have to just interrupt him for yeah, a quick sure. second because one of the cool things about his office is he has – he was mentioning that um, um, the gentleman you just mentioned probably used some medieval whatever right. kind of stuff. He does too. And I wonder if that's where you got it from. It's all your – he's got gadgets and googly googs from all kind of things oh, that you would my, never my, yes. that make sound. Yes. My favorite emporium you know I mean? is the 99 cent store. Or yard sales. You know, I started going to yard sales and picking up all these things. I started wondering, why did I buy that $5,000 guitar? <laughs> This candlestick holder oh, for a dollar. That made the same sound, didn't it? Well, no, that's but funny. I like this better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to play. <laughs> uh, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just found out. No, it, no, like, it reminds no, me of funny. the gadgets that when people do when they do the sound effects for the films, mm-hmm. the film. and, they, and then you see the what was used to make the sound yeah. of all the stuff, and yeah. it's like these random things it's that you're like that's in my house. That's making the sound of someone's exactly. footsteps. Somebody figured that. Oh out. yeah, yeah especially like yeah. foley. You know, yeah. when they're punching somebody out, they take a head yeah. of cabbage and mm-hmm. bang it on the floor. You know. Mm-hmm. That's some good cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> I hope somebody used it afterwards. <laughs> so you were working with Barbara? Well, I wasn't working with her. I was I was just, you know, on the payroll. But but uh You about to say we were cousins, we were hanging out, you know. <laughs> no, I, I, I actually played behind her sister at one point. I'm getting off the subject now, mm-hmm. but, but she's her sister is a excellent singer named Rosalind Kine. She's got the same set of pipes. Oh, I didn't know that. Um 
you know, I played. Just never quite crossed over like she did. Well, no. I mean, how'd you like to be Barbara Streisand's sister? I mean, that's a tough act to yes. follow, you know. I mean, but she was an excellent singer, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so, so let's see. So I was out with a chorus line, uh, and I was able to really save a lot of money. And I moved to L.A. and I lucked out and got a teaching um, uh, assistantship at USC and studied composition at, at grad school there. Hmm. Um, that was also a really great experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that time, I was doing a lot of playing as a bass player. I was doing a lot of sessions and playing live. But um, reading music was always kind of a struggle for me. And I got to the point where I was really uh, a very good, you know, on, on the right day, I was an excellent sight reader, but I was mm-hmm. never a flawless sight reader. Oh, really? and, I, and I knew that, you know, that's... And I'm competing with guys like Jimmy Johnson, yeah, you know, definitely. and you know, the, you know, and these guys are doing it every day, mm-hmm. and I've got my feet in both camps, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, it was really important, you know. I really wanted to write, so I parked the bases under a bed, mm-hmm. and uh, I was relieved that I had a plan B, you know, because I had all this. I worked in a lot of architectural offices, mm-hmm. you know, so I um, I got a gig working over in West Hollywood for a design firm for three years, mm-hmm. part time, and mm-hmm. that paid my bills. So I could just focus on music, you know. Mm-hmm. And I started getting my first gig. Well, I went to school um, when I arrived at the University of Miami. Um, Bruce Hornsby was mm-hmm. was there, and um, he was on his way. He was leaving, and uh, we had a mutual friend, and he introduced us. And uh, that same friend, Peter Harris, is his name. Great guy. Um, hooked me up for my first. Per- professional job was a theater group from chicago you know really really you know the real deal like mm-hmm. these guys you know they were sleeping in the theater you know <laughs> in a little equity waiver mm-hmm. theater on Santa. Mm-hmm. i've done them <laughs> and um they put on a production um uh called renegade farewell it was about a um it revolved around dog fighting which is certainly not my favorite thing it mm-hmm. wasn't really about dog fighting but these people happened to be into dog fighting but mm-hmm. it was really more about the characters but mm-hmm. it, was, it all took place in the bayou so it was like this really was it a musical or something or? no 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 no. but but they needed a score you know oh, pre-recorded okay. score you know so i did this bayou <laughs> score for them and really loved it it was really great and um yeah, that's in your type of well, what kind of, well, well just what would constitute a by like what is that sound that when people hear it in a film mm-hmm. That says it resonates with them like yeah that's some Bayou. I feel like I am in the swamp. Slide there. guitar is the yes, answer. Yeah. yeah, bottleneck bottleneck guitar is mm-hmm. like you know that's the button you push. Mm-hmm. You know, and this, you know there's there's other things too. You know, but um, I think is that uh, that thing on your hand that little yeah a little glass like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can it actually comes from you know using an actual bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah yeah the bottle back, yeah, back yeah, in the yeah, day yeah yeah mm-hmm. um, and and also the. It was a great first project because it, you know, it wasn't like noty. You know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of chops at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I hadn't really done that much. You know, and you learn this by doing it. Sure. Um, Were you so, nervous about doing it? Like when someone oh, presents no, no, you no. that, you just kind of felt comfortable. Hey, I'm a musician. I can give you the sound. I would. I would have been petrified if if I was, uh, you know, standing in front of an orchestra conducting as my mm-hmm. first gig. You mm-hmm. know, but that wasn't it. You know, I mean, I did I did get a lot of experience doing that at USC, and then I, I also took a lot of classes at UCLA Extension, which was really practical, mm-hmm. you know, knowledge. And I met a lot of good people in that. Like the first class I took there was sort of a film scoring 101, mm-hmm. <laughs> and cool. the people there were like ten ten people in the class, and every single one of them went on to like the big time. Yeah. Benny Maupin was in the class from okay. Herbie Hancock's mm-hmm. uh, The Headhunters, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Richard or uh, Robert Kraft, who wound up running the film department at Fox, and uh, Carol Farhat, who was Lionel Newman's secretary, and then wound up running the television music mm, department yeah. at Fox, you know, and, and on and on, a lot of composers. Um, so, um, you know, after 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 a chorus line, you know, I, I moved to LA and I got all this stuff happening, and then the same friend of mine, Peter. Uh, past my demo reel, I, now I had some material and doing the UCLA stuff. We we had a master class, which is where you record a bunch of stuff for your reel, mm-hmm. and that went really well. So he passed my demo to Bruce Hornsby, who passed it to Mike Post, oh, really? who at the time was was mm-hmm. scoring everything in sight. I think he had eight shows. Crazy, <laughs> and he had like kind of a solar system of composers. You know, he had like his inner circle of like mm-hmm. three people. You know, and then there was a outer circle and then another circle beyond mm-hmm. that so i started in the outest you know the outest <laughs> circle he was on asteroid belt <laughs> exactly. right, yeah. well, you can't do it and you can't do it and you can't do it i'm, trying, I'm, to get, call you. I'm trying to get yeah. past mars here so i can get a little closer to venus here i come yeah, I, I, I was hanging with pluto <laughs> i was a moon of pluto <laughs> so um yeah, that was my, my first gig. I mean, my first paying gig was mm-hmm. uh, writing for primetime TV, you know, doing uh, the A-Team and Hunter mm-hmm. and Magnum P.I. and stuff like that. Um, and then I moved over to Viacom, uh, and the music was far more sophisticated, really mm-hmm. excellent writers. All of mm-hmm. those guys were, you know, and they were older guys, a lot older than I was. And then their attitude was really great. I mean, you know, because somebody helped them. And they were really interested. You in had some mentors over there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, you know, they give me their scores, and you'd have to figure out, you know, because when you ghostwrite, you have to, you know, you have to hear what the other person is doing. Mm-hmm. It's like taking apart a watch and putting it back together again. You know, like you know, there's there is a very logical, mm-hmm. you know, constructive reason why their music sounds the way it does. Mm. And so you have to tune into that. Not many people can really do let, that. Let me ask you a question. Now, why why would a composer need somebody else to ghostwrite them? Because they don't have time to finish it. Oh yeah, what the, it? yeah. I mean, the deadlines are brutal. Okay. You know, I mean, imagine having to write like twenty or thirty minutes of music in in less than a week. Oh, yeah. You know, four days. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, on a good day. I mean, if, you know, depending on what what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's if it's like a love scene, you might be able to do like four minutes if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a cartoon that's like totally manic. I mean, there's been days where I've only been able to write thirty seconds in wow. a day. You know, I mean, he, he played me played for me some some cartoon stuff. No, I saw on his it's straight out like Looney Tunes and some shit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's a lot so of animated fast. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was. So that was you did some stuff. Didn't you do some stuff with Darkwing Duck and? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did animation for, for yeah for three years. Yeah. I did I did animation. I, that did more for my dramatic writing than anything else because you learn how to you learn how to turn on a dime. I mean, the stuff is so manic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's opera one minute right. and then mm-hmm. it's like you know something else. You know and. And they're clean transitions too. Clean. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, you have to you have to be able to uh, generate a lot of energy, really move a lot of air really quickly. You know, wow. and, and that comes in handy when you're writing a chase scene. You know? mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, ghostwriting for these guys, and they're all excellent composers. And you know, the beauty of it was, you know, I'm, I'm in front of an orchestra every week. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, you know, everything was live. You know, the synthesizers were just starting to make their way. This is in the early to mid, like I hung out my shingle in '86, so mm-hmm. this would be like the late '80s into the early '90s. Mm-hmm. And I started doing animation in like '92, I think. Okay. Um, 
So it was great, great experience. And as I mentioned before, you you learn it by doing it. And I was able to do it with you know a really high bar as far as the quality of the music. You know, these a lot of the Viacom shows, you know. Needed a lot of help, <laughs> but the good news, you know, I mean, you couldn't hurt the show. You know, I mean, wait, this riding is so bad. You know what? Uh, we just gonna just get some music to help him out a little bit. <laughs> no, you, could, you, you could, you know, it would the shows would take a lot of music, and I've I've done a lot of documentaries as well, and that was mm-hmm. like really great experience because documentaries, like, there's no script. Mm-hmm. You know, they just go out and, you know, as, as a friend of mine used to say, they, it's like the Lafayette Esquadrille. You know, they, 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 they fly out and you don't know whether they're going to come back or not. <laughs> you know, well, they, we, ch- we try to write a script if you can. You try to at least right. have an idea of what's what, you know, mm-hmm. if it might be narrated or whatever. But, yeah, yeah, but if you're doing a shark movie, you know, mm-hmm. and then the sharks don't show up, <laughs> there's going to be a lot there's of dialogue. Can't <laughs> Bruce is not working again. How are we going to cover that? <laughs> get, get that sunset shot again. Get that <laughs> Get that cello dude up here. Let's go. <laughs> so yeah, so they, they you know they'll they'll take a lot of music. Mm-hmm. You know they you know because a lot of times you have to create drama where it really isn't up on the screen. You mm-hmm. know, and it was the same. And thing. enhance it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or sometimes create like a ticking clock where mm-hmm. it really isn't there. You know. Yeah. But you know you're bridging. You know, like you've got a strong scene here, a strong scene there, and. You know, you um, <laughs> and then everything kind of drops, and the music mm-hmm. has to lift it back up in the middle. But um, well, one of the, one of the things I love about about sitting with a composer, and we'll get into this in a, in a minute. But one of the things I love about sitting with a, a really good composer, like what I saw, the work that you've done, and you know, the things that you've done, is you could watch a flat scene. Somebody comes in a room, they shut the door, they do whatever. You know what I mean? It's supposed to be a tense scene, like you're saying. But as soon as you come in, it's like, but then. You know what I mean? You could hear all right. these different, you know what I mean? It's, Whatever it is, it just adds to that moment It's a very more. fine line, you know, because if, you, if you're if you too out front, mm-hmm. then you're narrating. Yeah. And that's never a good idea. Yeah, yeah. then you're projecting on it and telling the audience what, right? yeah. 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 Well, they, they call it Mickey Mousing. It comes from Mickey the anime. When, when you're writing cartoons, that's exactly what you want to do. You're hmm. basically, you know outlining everything this is funny this is you know scary Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. is you know uh but in drama you really kind of want to be behind Mm. the picture you know somewhat i mean in general you know Mm -hmm. i mean you know movies are as varied as human emotion is Mm -hmm. you know so every circumstance is different but um yeah, so so I you know I'm, I was doing a Viacom thing and uh, that was extraordinarily valuable in terms of being in front of an orchestra working with really first class composers um, and you know also like learning how music works you know mm-hmm. I mean to listen to somebody else's stuff and be able to do something that sounds just like it you know you, mm-hmm. you really have to be able to pull it apart and you know, there's been times where I've had to hide, hire people you know to make my deadline sure. and I, I gotta tell you it's really tough to find somebody who can do that mm-hmm. you know I mean it's kind of a special skill so that was really valuable you know and, and, and in addition I mean you know I never wound up I was I was lucky or unlucky and mm-hmm. not ever landing a series like a hit series hmm. you know uh you know that it scored for 10 years mm-hmm. and so that forced me i was like a nomad you know mm-hmm. i just go where the, <laughs> where the heat is you know uh, i mean so a journeyman right yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i did did television primetime tvs where i started out and then i um 
And I did animation, and then I, you know, I did a lot of documentaries and did some features, you know, and commercials. And all these kinds of music were completely different. I did a documentary that was shot in um, Oman in the Empty Quarter, the largest uh, uncharted place on the globe. And this is pre-9-11, you know, so the score was like this beautiful Arabic, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. Lawrence of Arabia, not Mm -hmm. Black Hawk Down. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) It sounded like a snake coming out of the thing. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, all the the experience that I did, uh, that I had uh, ghostwriting really benefited me in terms of being able to nail a style. You know, Mm -hmm. even if I'm not like trying to emulate somebody else's music, Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, oh, okay, so this is Irish music. So just an interesting point. Mm -hmm. When I, after doing that, Arabic project, and then I had to write some Irish music. I realized <laughs> this is just like the Arabic stuff. Oh, really? And what way? Ex- except like that it's different scales. Oh, okay. You know, is you know, like they're usually all people, all the players are on one melody. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's playing the same melody. There's usually like a drum, mm-hmm. and there's a you know, kind of a violinish right. thing. You know, and um, the instrumentation is very similar, but the scales are different. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Arabic. Um, Scales, you know, they, they use this uh, music form called makam, and, and it's uh, microtonal, you know, so it's, they, they have quarter tones in between mm-hmm. the notes on the piano. The Irish music is basically diatonic, and it's all, you know, like white keys on the piano, so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's all really how you play it, like, you know, the mm-hmm. feeling you put into it. But, and I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, you know, I was reading some history once, and I realized that the Moors mm-hmm. went all the way up into, you know, the British Isles, you know, and that's, you know, yeah. they they affected, you know, Spanish music, flamenco, you know, has that mm-hmm. thing, you know, it's pretty interesting. So, yeah, so, I, you know, that really enabled me to, to be able to uh, write in styles. And um, I got my first feature while I was working for this interior design firm. Oh, there's <laughs> one, one kind of amusing story. Uh, I'm working for this company mm-hmm. and they were the the principal one of the one of the three principals husband was the uh head of the livery department at William Morris okay, yeah. and most of our clients were celebrities or you know we also did uh William Morris agency and we did creative artists and mm-hmm. um, my first day on the gig I had to do a rendering of Ivan Reitman's house <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they sent me, you know, I was a point man because, uh, you know, nobody knew how to do construction drawings. And that was my thing. So so they would, you know, when they got a job, nobody has blueprints, you know. Mm. I don't know why, but, mm. but they don't have blueprints. So I'd have to go out and measure the building by hand. And draw it yourself? And recreate, yeah. you know, really? backwards engineer the the blueprints. Mm. And they sent me out uh, to Sarah Vaughn's house one oh, day. That cool. was a trip. No, I mean, I had these incredible, like, fly on a wall mm. experience because, you know, when you're sitting there measuring stuff, you just don't exist you know mm-hmm. i mean so people just talk about stuff right. you know, like you're not there you know mm-hmm. it's pretty wild so one of our clients was fred silverman fred silverman was once the head of all three you know at one time was headed all three networks mm-hmm. you know and he became a big time producer after that and mm-hmm. and all of these viacom shows were his shows mm-hmm. um and i'm working on his house <laughs> right <laughs> and uh I had a an arrangement with the receptionist that if he ever came in there, mm-hmm. you know, working on his shows, she would call me and I would go out the back door. <laughs> so he wouldn't see me <laughs> in the wrong contest. Yeah. Okay. And and I, and I always hope hope that I would get the opportunity to meet him. Mm-hmm. 
Because, you know, sometimes they would give me design work as well, you know. So I designed his media area, you know, that had like a trick door, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I always wanted to meet, you know, hey, how's that trick door working out there? <laughs> <laughs> right. um, yeah, so so there was that. And then I, I finally got my, while I was working there, I got my first feature, um, the Viacom composers. And, and by the way, like, you know, I think out of all the work I've done over you know the last thirty years, I've gotten two jobs from an agent. You know, and this really? this was one of them. You know, most of my work has come from other composers. It's, <laughs> it's like our work, okay? You know, the agents don't usually get your job. It's from <laughs> yeah, everybody you, referring you. You, you heard you about something, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah per, you know, there's nothing that substitutes for a personal recommendation. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, yeah, so. Um, one of the Viacom guys, or actually a couple of them, recommended me to their agent, and uh, he got me a feature as an incentive to sign. Mm. And it was shot in Zimbabwe. I had two weeks to write 40 minutes of music, and then I was on a plane <laughs> to Johannesburg. We, we, the ironic thing is we recorded all the African music here. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. We recorded the orchestra in Johannesburg, <laughs> which, which, which seemed... Backwards a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> pass backwards. But but uh, I was really glad I did it that way because when I got there, the percussions percussionists in the in the orchestra were all uh, Afrikaners, mm-hmm. and here they are in the cradle of the percussion mm-hmm. universe, and they didn't know jack really? about it interesting i had to play a bunch of the percussion parts myself because really? I had this real octung way of like, yeah. playing everything. You yeah. know, you know, but there was one American guy, and he was cool. And he, when we finished the project. Um, he took me to this uh, what's called a Moody shop. Hmm. Uh, I like I like how it sounds. Though. It's it, kind of it's in down. Diggy, down it's, a, it's a wild <laughs> place. Joe. It's like the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Into, at least it was. That was 1989. Mm-hmm. So they were still under apartheid. Mm-hmm. You know. But he took me down downtown. It's like across the street from the stock exchange, right. and it's this voodoo shop. Wow. <laughs> the guy that owned the place was an MD. He was Indian. Mm-hmm. And he was a medical doctor, but he also practiced uh, Santeria. Right. You know, and they had a little sacrificial <laughs> altar downstairs. You know. yeah. And, you know, I walked in and there's, you know, I, I, you know, there's just stuff everywhere hanging from the ceiling. And I, I you know, I'm, what is that? You know, and I realized it's like a rib cage from a monkey. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but there were all kinds of drums. And, mm-hmm. you know, man, I brought back some incredible stuff. I, I wow. you know, the, the exchange on the Rand was... Uh, really favorable so you know money was really kind of not an object mm-hmm. you know it was like almost free you know mm-hmm. so i had to build a big crate and i brought back all these <laughs> drums made yeah, out you of, gotta build your own crate oh, to bring yeah, stuff yeah. out okay it's pretty wild <laughs> um mm-hmm. so that yeah that, so then i had an agent and uh, you know I, I, I kind of started bouncing around you mm-hmm. know between um you know at, at that point i was really starting to accumulate a um a pretty um, diverse reel in terms of styles. Mm-hmm. You know, orchestral music was doing a lot of electronic music, and that same. Well, no, this was actually just before I got the feature. I, I was, um, I got a, a Sundance fellowship, mm-hmm. and that was a really great experience. And um, that same year, I also wrote a piece for a competition, and it was uh, won first prize, and it was. Uh, premiered by the Denver Symphony Orchestra. That was mm. really cool. That's mm-hmm. a really tough thing to get, yeah. to get a premiere. Yeah, sure. um, and I also had a, there was an article in the Hollywood Reporter of like faces to watch, you know, and I was a part of that. So, so that, that was a big year for me. Mm-hmm. So, so um, you know, things, things started to pick up, you know, and as anybody that works in this industry, it was up and down and up and down. But I got, you know, as I said, it was valuable because I got to move around a lot mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of different, you know, arenas, mm-hmm. you know. 
Uh, and one thing that I always kind of put in my back pocket was doing advertising work. You know, so I, my word went out like the advertising world operates, you know, kind of differently than any other part of the music business where they have music houses that are uh, just dedicated to doing advertising. That's all they do. Now, now some of them but, are but that, But is, is, is this where you're going because you've done, he's done a lot of like the big Super Bowl commercials, mm-hmm. the music for all those and stuff like that. Is that what you're talking about, those advertisers? Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, here's how it works. A, um, a, a product, you know, Fiat, H, you know, Hewlett-Packard, whatever, mm-hmm. has a commercial. In the, or they want to do a commercial. They go to the ad agency. The ad agency, you know, creates a spot. And then the ad agency goes to like four or five music houses. Mm-hmm. And they pay them each couple thousand bucks mm-hmm. to produce some demos so each one of those five music houses will hire five guys like me mm-hmm. and pay them you know like a pittance you know, <laughs> to stay up all night a dollar. can you do something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they always they always call you at 5 p.m and mm-hmm. they want it at 10 a.m the next morning you know mm-hmm. so um <laughs> hence why he's a night owl okay. so. <laughs> yeah so so if you've got five houses and five composers that's mm-hmm. 25 demos and and if i have the time you know, I, I don't, I'm not doing it to make the demo money. Mm-hmm. I want it to go to final, you know, sure. where the real money is, mm-hmm. you know. So I'll, I'll write two of them if I have the time, oh, you know, okay. yeah. for the same, you know, two for one, you mm-hmm. know. And the other guys are just – so if everybody's doing that, there's like 50 demos. Mm-hmm. And all these guys are good, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all great, you know. So it's just a matter of right. taste, mm-hmm. you know. Right. What's that expression the Italians say? In matters of taste, there are no disputes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so – uh, so a lot of those didn't go to final, mm-hmm. you know. So I had um, a big library of all these cues that I owned, you know. Usually it's a buyout, you know. Um, once again, you know, you never know what they're looking for, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be uh, – I kind of got a reputation, you know. They uh, One thing that's – and I'm sure you've experienced this yourselves in Hollywood, you know, it's very important that people have a box to put you in, you know. That's probably been the most difficult thing for me, you know. Yeah. And, and, sure. And depending on what they called me for, that was who I was. You know, so at this music house, mm-hmm. I was the film guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and they give me the big like cinematic things. At this music house, I was the Latin guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this one, I was the big band guy. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but right. they'd never call me for anything else. Right. You know, that was it. You know. Um, yeah, we have we have the same thing in screenwriting. I'm you know, sure. people expect yeah, you. you go to, yeah. I mean, you know, we both have written you know horror and dramas and comedies and all kind oh. of stuff, but. They, you whatever the one that was kind of successful is the one that they think you are. Oh, you yeah, and, I mean? and I, I, I really feel badly, and I'm not being condescending when I say this. I'm saying this with the highest level of respect, but I feel badly for somebody like Danny Elfman or Tommy Newman hmm. because you do like Pee Wee's Big Adventure mm-hmm. or you do uh, uh, American Beauty, yes. and that's all you do for the rest of your career. Right. <laughs> that's you know, they just want you to write that score Danny over Elfman and over again. For a while, when he was doing a lot of the, the big, like, Really big, almost like kind of zany sci-fi fantasy. And he kind of got put into that that thing, and it was mm-hmm. like he could do so much more. Of course, I was a Danny Elfman fan back when he was with Oingo Boingo back in the day, before he became like a big time composer. Exactly. You know, and that that's what brings me to this is the idea that for a lot of music composers, they have such a huge impact in terms of people's memories of films and TV. I think about great TV shows, like I think about Mission Impossible. Oh yeah, you think about Star Trek, like. The Bonanza. minute you hear these things, <laughs> the minute you hear these sounds, mm-hmm. right. they evoke so much emotion. They evoke nostalgia. You know, they invoke the tone of the show. It lets sure. you know what it's going on, and especially in films. 
when someone brings a script to you, or how does that work? Do they come and give you a script, like, or they just come to you and sit down and say, like, Hilliard, mm-hmm. hey, this is the project I'm doing. Do they give you, like, a synopsis overview? Do they let you read the script, and you're like, mm, or they give you the product, and you look at it, and it gives you time to think about what you're yeah, going to more often, More often than not, it's, it's the latter. You know, I mean, it, people, you know, can give me a script, but that really doesn't help me that much. I mean, mm-hmm. it's sort of... You have an idea of what's going on, but but yeah. you can't really establish the music until you actually—at least mm-hmm. I can't. Uh, you can't establish it until you've seen the picture, you've seen the mm-hmm. the pace, you've seen the the lighting, yeah. you've seen like you know the mm-hmm. acting and all. Yeah, that we sort usually of bring in the composer. Sometimes a lot of people don't even hire the composer until they start post. But so I think you should have a composer on board, mm-hmm. you know, when you're ready to shoot the movie. That's just me. Yeah. <clears throat> but no, it's, it's never a bad idea. Yeah, you, you know, know, just so you know who's going to be working right. on what, and you can at least be anticipated. So you right. can start. You can have your window set. They're busy too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually like they usually don't even see the script. They usually just see the film. You know what I mean? They choose the locked film. You know, then you might get a rough every once in a while. Yeah, but it's no, I mean, it's just, it's very common to get a rough cut. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't really recommend writing to a rough cut yeah. because it's it, it's much harder to adapt a piece of music that you've massaged into. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it doesn't sound like it when you watch it, right. but the, the work that it takes to actually make that scene flow mm-hmm. is really fragile. And if all of a sudden you hack the scene up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The piece of music that you've written isn't going to work. It's it's mm-hmm. it's like here's an analogy. Imagine that you're a dress designer, right? Mm-hmm. And you do gowns for the mm-hmm. Academy Awards, and you've crafted this gown that perfectly fits Cameron Diaz's ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not going to fit anybody else's ass. Right. It's Cameron Diaz's ass. You know? So 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 that's you know. Uh, I don't like redoing stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if if there's a problem with the music, that's not a that's not a problem. But but if if there's cuts, it's much easier to extend a piece of music than mm-hmm. it is to shorten a piece of music. Okay. Um, I, I never have a problem with no, it. With I was just being, thinking about the reason why I asked that is because I was thinking about year many years ago when Fred Williamson had a movie. I can't I can't remember. It was one of the the gangster films, one of the classic ones, mm-hmm. and the producers wanted James Brown. Mm-hmm. But James Brown had already did this music and was like, "Well, I'm going to do the music." And I don't, th- I don't remember if he actually saw a rough cut of the film. He just did the music and say, "Here, this is what it is," <laughs> and then they used it. But then the yeah. second film, they wanted to do it again, and he was like, "Oh, I want to do this." And they they said no because they didn't like the way it worked mm-hmm. out. Like it just didn't work out. So I was always wondering. A lot of times, people go to you know musicians, or I think about Curtis Mayfield. Mm-hmm. When you think about Superfly and right. those kind of like iconic films and, and things like that, where it's like, if there's somebody they have in mind, like this composer, for example, or John Williams or somebody, mm-hmm. like a lot of times uh, filmmakers and producers, like they already know they're going to get John Williams. Mm-hmm. It's like they're like, just get John Williams, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, is John Williams like looking at stuff, or mm-hmm. it's like just John? It's another sci-fi film. Whip it up, make it happen. You know, I mean, well, he has an agent too, so I'm sure his agent is. <laughs> Whip it up and make it happen. Yeah, 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 definitely. But no, well, let's. I mean, let's get into that. That's interesting. So, so I'm a young filmmaker, right? Let's just and scenario. And, and think about budget too. Like I yeah, need. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's all that, but everybody's different, right? You know, it depends on what level you're on. But so I'm a young filmmaker. I just made, let's just say, a, a pilot presentation for fifty thousand dollars. Whatever the fuck, right? I have. in a budget for a composer, you know, 
How, how do they work that work? <laughs> what do you, what do you say? He's like, how unfortunate. I know. <laughs> but you won't be this walking, is what you're you dealing won't, with. You won't be knocking on my door. <laughs> this is what you're dealing This is what you're dealing with. Right, right, right. right. This, this is the real stuff. All the budget goes to the set. They have a little bit of money for post, which post needs to be just as important. Mm-hmm. But this is what happens. Well, generally, and, and there's no hard and fast rule, but in that kind of a situation, um, I'm not going to try to deliver an orchestra to somebody for two thousand dollars. Sure. You know, so I'll just say, okay, so here's what you get for two thousand mm-hmm. bucks. You get me and my piano, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. where it's all going to be electronic. It's actually a lot more work for me to do an electronic score than to do, you know, in, uh, you know, simulating an orchestra electronically is really, you know, even though the samples have improve mm-hmm. dramatically over the years and, and <clears throat> you can do a very convincing orchestral sound um, it, it kind of still to my ear it lacks the depth that you have with like a real, a real, real orchestra but yes. you know I, I think that as a you know I'm, I'm on the music side of it but as far as I'm concerned music is a production within the production and so it's my job to know everybody else's job mm-hmm now, I don't have to play the flute, but I know what the flute player has to do in order to be able to play his part. Sure. I, I, know, I know what's possible, and I know what isn't possible. Mm-hmm. And, and if you overwrite or write out of the range of the instrument, you're a bad composer. You know? <laughs> so, I'm not kidding. You know? so, so, and, and you need to know what's realistic in order for like, the copyist to be able to get all the music copied. Otherwise, you're going to show up, and music won't be ready. That's mm-hmm. your fault, like the coyote thing. Right. You're about, you know? right. So... Um, I really, you know, I mean, in, in terms of like putting out the word to up and coming filmmakers, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's your job as a producer to know what the composer has to do. So you don't give him 60 minutes of music to write, you know, in a week. You know, that's just not, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's, it's not going to work well for you, mm-hmm. no matter how good you. So, so when I do an electronic score, you know, most people don't realize this, but. In an abstract analogy, it's I have to play each instrument in on the on the controller, you know, mm-hmm. the MIDI controller, you know, that tells the computers what to do, and it's mm-hmm. all you know ones and zeros, you know. So when I play a note on that controller, it's recording which pitch it is, how long I held it, how hard I hit it, mm-hmm. um, and then there's other control, you know, there's other variables in terms of expression and all those other things. So it's really like I have to – if if you went analog with that analogy, it would be like me – I have an orchestra sitting there. So I have to walk up to the first flute player and say, okay, so put your finger here <laughs> for this note and blow this hard. Mm-hmm. You know, Now imagine how time-consuming that would be when you've got sure. a full orchestra. Right. You know? so, well, that's what you kind of have to do. You know, It's not really as dramatic as that, but I mean you, know, you have to address everything on the you know, molecular level you know, as opposed to – I, I, I'm a real big fan of live recording. I, I you know, the, all the years that I did television. I mean, it's it's the most effi- it's the only way to go. I mean, it's 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 so efficient and it sounds so good. Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got a film and you're sitting, you know, you're a filmmaker, director, and you're sitting in the booth, mm-hmm. recording booth, and even though you've heard the synth demo of whatever you're doing, all of a sudden you realize that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So. I've done it. You say you <laughs> yeah. say to the composer, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, you know, let's take a ten. You know, you come in, you talk about it. It's, you know, he listens, he listens. So he goes out to the orchestra, 
and says, okay, violins, you know, from bar 13 through 21, down an octave. Trumpets lay out, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You record it like that. Like that Let's yeah. go. You know, rehearse it once, and then you record it. It takes like 10 minutes. Interesting. Never thought about If I was that doing either. that electronically, yeah. that yeah. would take me like an entire day, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, depending on what it was, yeah. you know, yeah. depending, you know, maybe I could fix it in an hour and a half yeah. or something like that. But it's, it's just so much more efficient. Yeah. And the musicians, especially in L.A. and London, uh, are so freaking good, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, they, they just don't make mistakes. If there's a mistake, it's your fault, you know. You, you, <laughs> they, they don't screw up, you know. I mean, you know, they might play out of tune occasionally or somebody, but they don't play wrong notes, you know. It just doesn't. And that's why I'm not playing right now. Because, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't do that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I can write wicked stuff that yeah. challenges them up and down, but I couldn't play it, you know. Mm. You know, you know well, I'm always thinking of some of my favorite, you know, Films and I and I and I might be prejudiced in this way, mm-hmm. not prejudiced, but in terms of bias. Biased. I'll say bias in this way, where some of the best composed music has come from like horror movies. Mm-hmm. He's got some cool ones there, and it's like you know, because you know what? The first time I ever really remember like thinking of like wow, like where I actually went out and like bought like not counting Superfly and stuff like that because that was music <laughs> my friends won't buy anyway. But I'm talking about in terms of like Curtis Mayfield or orchestral uh that was Curtis Mayfield, yeah. yeah. Orchestral music, I'm thinking of like when Chariots of Fire came out. Mm-hmm. And like literally I would like play that in my little cassette player and I'd be outside pretending I was running in <laughs> slow motion because it was just such a big sound. And those yes. are those type of and whenever I think of that, I always think of those rich sounds and like that's one of the few like dramas where that music hit me. But mm-hmm. when I think about like really great I, I mean, like I said, I think about aliens. I even think about and it sounds cheesy, I even think about Conan the Barbarian. Hmm. Like the big the sounds and mm-hmm. just the big I orchestration. Was, I think that was Basil Polidorus. I'm not sure. Oh my sure. god! Yeah. You know, and and like I'm a fan of Hans Zimmer. You know, mm-hmm. all the you know all these cats, the women too. Who's uh, nominated every freaking year. And one of my other favorites is uh, actually Stanley, uh, Stanley Kubrick's daughter uh-huh. when she did Full Metal Jacket. Uh-huh. You know, so there, there are women composers people. They're mm-hmm. out there too, but it's like. I always feel like, I, what is, I mean, you've, I, well, in your repertoire, I'm sure you've got some horror stuff, too. Mm-hmm. From a horror geek, and for those of us who He's are writing, for those of us who are writing horror things, mm-hmm. what is it about some, like, when you think of tubular bells from freaking Exorcist, or oh, that was, Omen, yeah, that was and, you know, magical the way that oh, God, or That's, Suspiria, Goblin, oh, God, like, mm-hmm. I mean, this is way back in the 70s, but when I was a kid, <laughs> I was like, holy moly, this music is affecting me, and it's it's bringing so much out, like, what do you? What is it about horror music that maybe because I'm just a fan and I'm just curious yeah. as a fan of horror? Like, what is it about horror music that just evokes makes emotion? It, yeah, evokes that makes yeah. so so much better than you know. Well, I think one of the one of the things you when you're writing horror music, or you even sci-fi, to, sci-fi too. Yeah, you think of Star deal, Wars and stuff. Deal. The genres, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one thing you want to be conscious of is um, you know because think about it, horror is all about scaring people, right? Mm-hmm. Well. If you walk into a room with a gun and go like this, nobody's going to be scared like five minutes from now, you mm-hmm. know, because they know you've got a gun. You right. know? So it's all about surprise. Mm-hmm. And musically, you know, you want to write music that sneaks up somebody's pant leg mm-hmm. and they don't notice it, and then grabs them by the throat. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that's you know that's a real good point that I wanted to make is that writing music 
is very difficult. I mean, just writing any kind of a piece of music that makes any sense mm-hmm. is really difficult. And the fact that there's only 12 notes in any one octave makes it even more difficult. The fact that there's been 500 years of music history with mm-hmm. some of the smartest mm-hmm. people on the planet writing it makes it even, you know, compounds it by, you know, a factor of 10. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost... I, I wouldn't want to say it's all been done, but it, yeah. it's extremely difficult to come up with something new and sure. fresh. And, mm-hmm. you know, sure. and, and um, that's one thing. But writing music for film is a completely different. So I actually have two jobs, mm-hmm. writing music and then writing music to picture. Wow. You know? mm-hmm. um, and I've known a lot of guys that were great composers and you just think when you see what they write, they they looked at the picture once and then looked away, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, there, and there's other people that really understand um, the marriage, you know, between music and film, and and they'll write atmospheric stuff, um, you know, that uh, like that. You were you were over my studio mm-hmm. uh, Friday, and I played you that one really atmospheric thing. I told you it was like watching a sunrise. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, you'd be amazed at how that piece, that was a demo I had a row for a film about the Holocaust. <laughs> but I've, I've submitted that to like all kinds of different things. And, mm-hmm. and, and people put it, you know, it's not tonal. It's mm-hmm. just uh, atmospheric, yeah. you know, but it, it really works. Mm-hmm. And w- when I did my first score that I told you about, that Bayou thing, mm-hmm. Renegade Farewell, right. I, I sent it to um, a composer named Bruce Broughton, who I've been in contact with it throughout my career we had the same composition teacher and uh this guy's an orchestral master i mean he's mm-hmm. shoulder to shoulder with john williams he did uh the film silverado and got an oscar nomination for that wow. and he was actually mixing silverado at the at the same time that i was doing this project but i sent him a copy of it and I mean, this guy can write the walls down. I mean, you know, he can write eight minutes of a black page, you know, fully mm-hmm. orchestrated a day. You know, he's a monster, you know. But I sent him this really simple, super-paced... Right. Super-paced uh, Bayou thing. And he really liked it because his whole frame of reference with music was uh, very detailed, very energetic, and lots of notes, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and he really liked the way this music just kind of played out, you know, at its own pace and let the drama, you know, do the work. Mm-hmm. So there's some composers that are really good at doing that. And you listen to music on its own, and it's not really particularly significant. Like, you really mm-hmm. wouldn't want to, you know, listen to it on a road trip or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's an art into itself, you know. And you'd be amazed. We were talking about this the other day as well. Um, in a sense, and I don't I don't want to um, I don't want to diminish the achievement, but I mean, writing music for a great film is a lot easier than writing music for a bad film. <laughs> 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 because if you know if the if the acting is there, if the story is there, if the editing is there, you know, you just set the tone and get out of the way, you know? <laughs> but if it's not there, Ooh. you're the last line of defense, Ooh. you know? And you're and sitting you're, there looking at it like, oh, this hurts so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they expect me to come up with something. I should give know? them back the check. Ooh, I should just give them back the check. <laughs> no, it's, it's like CPR, you know? Yeah. Like you got the paddles, like, yeah. breathe! <laughs> Clear! <laughs> Have you ever done stuff where you've... Um, 
where maybe the director, whoever is in charge of, of getting the music together for a project, expected something maybe big, and you've decided that, you know what, this particular piece needs something small and not overdone. Yeah. Where you've had to like go in and tell them, look, I know you asked for this. But right. this is what I'm. But this is what I'm getting. That brings that brings up a really good point. Because I and see a lot of films that are just overdone. I thought, who did not mm-hmm. tell them? You doing like I'm not gonna name the, mm-hmm. the director. But every time I see these films, mm-hmm. it's too much. Mm-hmm. Like who was not in there to tell them? Yeah. You don't need all yeah. that. Okay, so that brings up like several different topics that are very important. Um, now we got about five minutes. And I think this is something that that the writers need to hear in terms yeah, of yeah, like. Go ahead. Let, yeah. Well, a lot of times that results from the temp track. Mm. You know, and that didn't used to be as prevalent as it is now. They'll, you know, people will hire a music supervisor, and he'll go through mm-hmm. all of his CD collection, and he'll fly in all this music just so they can see how it plays. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, against picture. You know, uh, but even if it's wrong, if you watch it like a hundred times, you get used to it, mm-hmm. and you get married to sure. it. Mm-hmm. You know, and they can't think of anything else. Not always, but I mean, a lot of times that happens. You know, so a lot of composers really don't like working with a temp track. I personally don't mind it. It actually does a lot of my job for me because, mm-hmm. it, if nothing else, it tells me what doesn't work, right. mm. which is really valuable. Right. So the beauty of working as a composer today is that you have so many resources in terms of being able to um, sync and uh, fly things in. So your client, there's not that many surprises mm-hmm. you know, when you get to the scoring stage. They've already seen it. You know, mm-hmm. So... Uh, generally, that doesn't happen that much. So, but but it does happen in the demo stage. You know, so you you write something for somebody, and it's completely different than what they had in mind. But they get a chance to see it and say, "Oh, yeah, yeah." Mm-hmm. So that that works. I personally have had the most success. At, you know, being on the other end of it, and you know, vice versa. I think I think it's really key that you hire the best people you possibly can, and then you get out of their way, mm. and you let them do what they do. Right. You know, you can get into a lot of trouble by micromanaging thing. Mm-hmm. And we you know, we were talking about this mm-hmm. the other day. Like you know, I, I've worked with um, with filmmakers that come in, you know, kind of apologizing they don't know anything about music. <laughs> you know, that's not important. That's my job. Right. And I don't want to hear about like this key or that key or mm-hmm. minor or major mm-hmm. or B flat or B natural. You know. You just tell me what you want people to feel, you know. Mm-hmm. But when people start dictating specifics about right. music, right. that's like you know going into surgery, you mm-hmm. know, and saying, "Oh, I think your first incision should be right here, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Surgeon." And how, how, how did that work out? <laughs> now that's a really good note because yeah. I, I I I talk about that all the time. Like I always tell young filmmakers. If you're gonna go when you go into to to listen to you know to the to the score you know with the composer, go in maybe you maybe the director and the producer. You don't need a whole team of people in there. You don't want a bunch of people saying a bunch of stuff. Mm. You want one voice right. to come from whatever. Let them talk. You guys can do this, and then let them talk. You right. don't want to have too many different voices going. Well, what about? Oh, that's well, a, that's a really about, really you know, awkward position to be in. As yeah. a composer, when 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 the director and the producer are not on the same yes. page, and and you're getting direction from both of them, and you, yes. you know, like I've had the experience. Like for example, it's worse. The worst of all is in the advertising industry. Mm-hmm. So you, you do this yeah. demo, you mm-hmm. come down to present it, 
and all these people file into the room. <laughs> and there's like 10 of them. And you, you don't know <laughs> from the ad agency. You, you don't know who's the creative director and, and who's like the boyfriend of the editor. Right, you know? right. And, but they all have got an opinion. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to like make them all happy. Mm-hmm. And they're both like doing mutually exclusive <laughs> suggestions. You know, I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult. That's, you know? yeah. That's and, funny. Well, let me think. There was one thing that I wanted to kind of. Uh, well, let's give him one more. Let's give him one more piece of game. Um, well, ask me another question. Ask me another question. Okay, what you got? You had something else? Uh, no, I just think that was just just important for the the filmmakers when they go in there to like you know let the composer compose, let them do their thing, let them do their thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then have one person make the decision what's right. going to be, and not everybody else all in there, mm-hmm. and you know, and also be willing to like. Whatever your idea or vision was, be open to like something different. Because Absolutely, I mean that's that's that. really really important. And, mm-hmm. and I, I can remember one incident. And I'm not going to mention any names okay. or titles. You can, you can tell me when we to be be shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, there's actually two things that I want to mention, and I want you to remember this because I, right, I might get off track. But it has to do with Bruce Broughton and right. orchestral sizes. And I'll come back to that in a second. But um, I worked on a documentary, and um, the demos that I played were all done electronically, you know, mm-hmm. and so they were kind of small, you know, and, and then I got some killer players and we mm-hmm. went into Capitol Records mm. to mix. And um, the filmmaker was kind of ashen, you know. Hmm. You know, I turn around and look at him, you know, and he's, I think it's going really well. You know, I turn around and look at this guy, he's like not okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we take a break and he, and, he, um, and he takes me out into the hallway and he says, I'm really concerned. I said, what's the problem? I think it's going great. He says, I'm concerned that you're taking my documentary and you're turning it into a film. What? (laughs) And I said, that's that's exactly what I'm doing. And if that's a problem, we're in big trouble. Big (laughs) trouble. I I said, you know, but I understand what he was saying because, because, you know, we're listening on the big speakers Mm -hmm. and and it's Mm -hmm. overpowering. He's never heard it like that. No, he's never heard it that way before. And I said, look, you just got to trust me. It's going to be great. And 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 when you mix it, you can, you know, you can dial it in however you want. Just trust me. And so that, and and he loved the score, Mm -hmm. you know, and the the film was a Sundance. Grand Jury finalists. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of the, one of the films that I'm the most proud of. You mm-hmm. know, and when it, when all was said and done, they were very very happy. But I, I told like this guy spent three years yeah. making that movie. Yeah. It's his baby. Yes. You know. So and and that's another thing. So there's three things I want to say. Mm-hmm. That's another thing is that you know. Well, first of all, as far as this point is, you got to trust your composer. It goes back to like hiring mm-hmm. good people and let them turn them loose, the cut them loose, right. I and mean, don't tie one hand behind you. <laughs> And second of all, you you have to uh, you have to be willing to accept new ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you've watched this film like a million times. Yes, you know, you and know back and forth, and that's you right. wrote it. Sometimes. And, yeah, and and you exactly, and mm-hmm. you can't really think of it any way than this mm-hmm. other way than this way you've seen it a hundred times. But I mean, if you if you hire the right person and you give them the right direction, they will take your film to the next level. That's the whole idea: is take it. Jacking it up, elevate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the Bruce Broughton thing that I but, but, but to close that topic, you have to trust people, right. and that's very difficult for a lot of people to do. You know, I mean, uh, I, I think probably 
the least envious job on the planet would be being a Montessori school teacher, you know, <laughs> where, where people drop off their kids, you know, or, or to be like a little league coach. <laughs> and they're like, you know, wow. you know, it's just because because they want to micromanage yeah. everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What do they call it? Helicopter parents. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, Helicopter parents. That kind of thing, you know. Yes. I mean, you know. Uh, you know the the people that I've always really enjoyed working with is they you know they're really clear about what they want and they say mm-hmm. let's see what you come up with you know and then they have an open let me, mind. Let me ask you one last question. So what do you want? So they bring you the film, right? right? Do you want them to give you detailed notes? Do you want them, to, for instance, like do you want them to say? And I'm just spitballing here. Uh-huh. Like at a minute and thirty six, there's a cool moment where the character does this. Can you give me a tone of this? Oh yeah, yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? so you want yeah. them to be really yeah. specific? Yeah, I mean a lot of times know? they'll have a temp track that does that anyway. True. You know, and, and that's, you know, it's a cop-out, in my view, to, like, just copy the temp. Mm-hmm. You know, but, if, I mean, if you, if you have the, the chops and the inspiration, you do everything that that does mm-hmm. in your own voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, you, you, you look at the temp and you say, okay, well, that's cool. You know, it gets faster there. You know, I mean, it, it's not, I'm not going to write those notes, yeah. but it gets faster and then it gets minor and dark. I, you know, I see how you're looking at you know, it. Yeah. So you're looking at it in block. Mm-hmm. Form and then you write your own piece of music that makes the same. It's like running an obstacle course. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that's really cool about writing film music. Is aside from writing music out of your head, mm-hmm. you know, like a concert piece, is that it is an obstacle course. You've mm-hmm. got to be here at that moment. You're you're basically ordering events in time. Sure, you know. So the piece that you write, like that big orchestral thing, that chasing that I played him, mm-hmm. I never would have written that out of my head. Hmm. But it had to be here, you know. I had to make this turn mm-hmm. right then, you know. So there was a three-eight bar there, mm-hmm. you know, in order to be able to make the cut, and it made for like really interesting music, you know. Okay. The, the last thing I wanted to mention, and, and I did that cue for Bruce Broughton, um, working with him, and he's known as a, you know, primarily an acoustic, you know, orchestral composer, like big orchestras is kind of his thing, and and we did a, a number of projects together, but. I remember once we were at Fox and we were recording some music for um, Euro Disney. Mm. And it was gigantic orchestra. It was like 108 pieces. I wow. Think. Jeez. I may be wrong about that, but it was big, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it just his stuff just always sounds fabulous. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, like, listening to it. And then at one moment, he would drop the entire band out and he would go down to, like, three players. Mm-hmm. And it would just absolutely take your breath away. Mm-hmm. And the big takeaway for me, working with this guy who's like an orchestral master, that's, that's where I, I completely changed my whole style hmm. and started writing for small ensembles. Because mm-hmm. I realized that, you know, as I said to you the other day, mm-hmm. when you have a 100-piece orchestra, 85-piece orchestra, it's like driving a tractor trailer. Now, if, if, you, wanna, if you need to pull... A heavy load, like mm-hmm. doing a big action movie, that's what you need. I mean, you don't, a piano is not going to cut it if yeah. you've got like The Matrix. Furious 10 with the piano, please. <laughs> I, I know that composer, Don Davis. Don Davis is an excellent composer, but I sat there watching that movie and I said, oh man, what a shame. Like this guy yeah. worked his ass off and you're, and you're hearing like 30% of it, yeah. you know, over, over yeah. the sound effects. So, yeah. so, like with these documentaries, 
documentaries that I do, what I love about them is that they're intimate and you can use, like, uh, I did a film called Shakespeare Behind Bars. I played most of the instruments, but I hired a virtuoso bass player and cellist. Did you see that? It's so good in that prison. Yeah. yeah so that's, a, that's a really good picture, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I did a, a, a project down in South America called Walton El Grupo and I had two guitars, a violin, an accordion, percussion. You know, and that was it. Mm-hmm. But, 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 I mean, if you have the right players, I mean, you can hear everything. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you're writing for orchestra, you really kind of have a big orchestra. You kind of have to stick to primary colors. You can have, like, you know, like three elements, mm-hmm. you know, rhythm, you know, harmony, and melody. Sure. But when, when you're writing for a smaller ensemble, you can have far more, like, there's big, like, if, if you want to have some transparency to the music, you want to have a smaller organ, like 50 pieces instead of 80 pieces. Mm-hmm. And then you can actually hear all the different layers that you have, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's... that's right. Well, thank you, it. James. Yeah, pleasure, it. Appreciate pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. man. Yes. This, is, this is awesome. Learned a lot, too, in terms of just, you know, what to expect and sounds and just... Mm-hmm. Just coming from a composer, you know, telling us, like, this is what I do and this is what to expect. I have, I have one, one last thing to say is, like, when, when, when it comes time to do your budget for your mm-hmm. film... That's when you want to be talking to your composer. Don't talk to your friend and say, "What did you pay for music?" Because <laughs> he, he may have had a composer that just wanted to like get in with him or yeah, something like that, and, yeah. and, and and was willing to you know take it in the shorts, you know, mm-hmm. because just for the relationship. But that's right. not a good judge. And next guy, you know, next guy may may not be able to do that. Like right. sure. I had a guy come to me a while ago with with a killer documentary, and he only had a thousand bucks, and it was going to take me like six. Weeks to write it. I said, I said, I would, I would love to do your film, but I can't. I can't possibly pay my bills with this. You know, how am I going to keep the doors mm-hmm. open? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so I didn't do it, and the show got picked up by CBS, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, it was a documentary that went to series. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I wish I could have helped him, but I couldn't. Sometimes you can't do it. Sometimes yeah. you can't do it. That's right. Sometimes you rhyme slow. Sometimes you rhyme quick. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, James. We yeah, appreciate it. My pleasure. It, Let's tell the kids where they can find you on um, your website and whatever. Uh, my website is just my name, uh, www.jamesstemple.com, S-T-E-M-P-L-E. And uh, I'm here on the lot mm-hmm. in the Formosa building, Formosa number 13. It's got a kick-ass office. <laughs> lucky, <laughs> lucky 13. You know, I'm always on Twitter. You always find me uh, most times on the hashtag Saturday Night Sci-Fi on Saturday nights uh, with Geek Soul Brother and all the, the Twitter peeps when we live tweet our sci-fi shows. And um, you'll find me also at Bitch Flicks and, uh, yeah, writing film critiques and stuff. Mm-hmm. And hopefully... Uh, I'll have some new short stories coming up so you guys can read some more of my sci-fi and fantasy and horror stuff. That's what's up. <clears throat> and I am your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Um, please, if you have any questions, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Do us a favor, go on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, or whoever you love. Um, give us a five-star review. We really need that for the metrics. And... Um, Join in with us. You know what to do. Oh, and be nice to sharks. Be nice to sharks. <laughs> <laughs> Stop hating. So on this show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Lisa? 2016. 2016. Peace, y'all. Ciao. Thanks, James. Stars can be paid, they gotta be a dope ass story on the page.
cage, let the beast about the cage. That light about the dark, can you build the inferno from the itty bitty spark? Coffee shop hustlers, rise with the cream. A million other writers, same Hollywood dream. Your pen and paper, all like bullets in the gun. Write what you feel, say what you want in the red room. We say what we say, we do what we feel. We gotta keep it real in the red room. So look, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get in. Mm-hmm. 